Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Praise, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Those are verses 5 to 9 of Proverbs 4. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. Uh, The reason that I wanted to choose that passage for today has to do very much with the leadership of the people. Yesterday, we spent most of our time talking about language and location. Today, I want to talk a little bit about leadership and the various classes of leadership within Judaism at the time of Jesus, and who are they, and why do they oppose him? Uh, What's the problem that these people have with him? And largely, it's because he contradicts their wisdom and insight, quote-unquote, and then also he threatens their power and their hegemony over the people. These are classes that are largely, in some ways, passing away. Um, with the the end of the temple period, some of these are going to be raised up after the the temple is destroyed in AD seventy. That, for instance, the rabbis, but then the priests are going to take on this awe, and Levites too, in some instances, are, are taking on this weird sort of um, honorific kind of a, a role because they won't actually be able to carry out the duties that they were trained for, the duties that God intended them to do in the temple. That that time is passing away with the end of the temple, and so they're going to be kind of superfluous going forward. And so what you see then is, is the displacement of the priestly class after the destruction of the temple, which Jesus said was going to happen, right? So he, he prophesied that there wouldn't be one stone left upon another, and that ultimately becomes the thing that they they come after him against in the trial, is that he spoke against the temple and said, do that, and after three days I will raise it up. And they were talking about, they they misunderstood him to be talking about the temple itself. He was talking about the temple of his body, because God dwelt in that temple. He tabernacled, and it is the way John says it in in the uh, first chapter of John. So Jesus is speaking of the temple of his body. They think he's speaking of the temple itself. One of the messianic expectations, actually, is is that Messiah will rebuild the temple. At that time, it wouldn't have made any sense because the temple was standing. But there has come to be an understanding and a belief that that one of the works of Messiah is, is that he will rebuild the temple. There's only disagreement within Judaism over whether he will personally do it all himself or whether he will oversee the work of rebuilding the temple. So so Jesus talking about tearing down the temple and I'll rebuild it in three days fits in with the messianic expectations of the time. So what happens though is you lose these people and, and so that because they don't have they can't carry out the functions that they're supposed to carry out because there's no sacrificial system, there's no worship at the temple and all that kind of stuff. And, and you only need priests to do that kind of work. So the rabbis are going to become more influential. And so what we have today is rabbinic Judaism. It's, it's based in kind of the Word, but then also it's not just the Word for them. It's also the, the Talmud, which is the oral law and the argumentation necessary to understand how to interpret the law itself. So it, it, it's case law, essentially. is what, what if 
this happens, then how do we how do we handle that? And some of the uh, the cases that are proposed can seem like well, that's completely insane. That the likelihood of that ever happening is so slim as to warrant basically no thought at all. But what they're trying to do in the Talmud is to figure out every possibility and every permutation that could come about, and then how would we resolve that case? So that is a rabbinic function, that the the Talmud was written by by rabbis. Now, remember, what I said yesterday was is that they believe that the oral law was given to Moses at Sinai, was passed down to Aaron, to others, to others, to others, and then suddenly you've got this Jewish diaspora, you've got people all over the world, and what they needed was they needed it codified, because it had been passed down orally until the second century. BC. This is their belief. So I, I'm not saying anything. It was it was it was given from Moses to Joshua and then passed down from there. So w- what they say is that. And so what they needed then, they said, well, we're too spread out. So to so it's it, we need a way of of helping Jews all over the world understand this. Oral transmission can't do it any longer. We need we need to make sure that everybody's agreed on this, and so that's where they come up with the Talmud. But like I said, that's a rabbinic function, and so we live in a time of rabbinic Judaism. Um, I listened to a guy, Rabbi David Foreman. He's uh, alephbeta.org, A-L-E-P-H, beta, B-E-T-A, dot O-R-G. And, and his mission— in that work, and he's a rabbi, so what he does is he, he does this work of digging into Scripture. So he's digging into the, the Old Testament, and, and it makes him a little bit unique, to be honest with you, because the, the way that most of the Jewish rabbis speak is they refer at least as often to the sages as they, they appeal to Scripture itself. So it, it's, it's different in that there are people, in a lot of uh, Jewish people, know stories from the Talmud and don't understand that those stories are not actually in the Bible, that, that this is a, an uh, elision from the, um, from the rabbis and the sages back in you know, the day. And so it, it becomes important to have somebody actually work with the Word of God. And so that was Rabbi Foreman's work. He realized that, that many of the Jewish people he knew knew more about the Talmud than they actually knew about the written Word of God. So it's, impor- it's an important work. Uh, for them to do that. So, but but anyway, that so that's kind of one class of people who 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 has taken the lead in what we know today as Judaism. And and the thing you can understand is is that that a priest or a Levite could also be a rabbi, but it's not necessary that the rabbi be from the priestly class or from the Levites. Uh, it, that can be anybody today. But at the time, so the rabbis at this time were becoming more important. They were becoming more important after they came back from the exile in Babylon. The rabbis became more and more important because they, they began to set up these synagogues, these houses of learning. It's called the house of the people, as synagogue is what it would actually mean. So the synagogues, and, and that's a Greek word, not, not a Hebrew word, by the way. So you've got these people who, who are leading these congregations who are outside of Jerusalem. And so we meet the rabbis in those places. We meet them less often in Jerusalem, although there were synagogues, the places of learning, but there was also the temple there. And so the priests carried out the sacerdotal functions, which is the, the, the sort of the work of uh, the temple, 
right? So, so the, they, they would handle the sacrifices and all that. The, the Levites would handle things. The priests would go into the holy place, manage the showbread there, manage the, uh, the, the uh, altar of incense, manage the, the candelabrum that were there. And then once a year, the high priest— who in the past had come, been raised up from within, but who in the time of Jesus is being appointed by the Roman, the king, Herod, has had the right to appoint these priests. So they, that, those are their functions. They're, they're really, really important people in Judaism. They, they derive their support from the people. Um, the, the, the tithes and offerings and all that are how the priests made their income. And so they, they had very important roles. They would be the guys that Jesus talked about, the ones who like to go about the marketplace and be recognized when they're there. You know, we all know these people. There, there are plenty of them in our world as Christians. You know, there are bishops and priests and everybody else who, who, who like the attention of, of having that role. And so, it, it, you know, you've seen them. I don't care if you're a pastor, a priest, a bishop, or whatever. There are people who like to have those roles and like to be recognized for those roles. So, so we we need to always be wary of those who would would take that mantle upon themselves for their own aggrandizement, and rather than for the kingdom and for the people. So, it, th- those are the that's the priestly class. They 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 come down from Aaron. Aaron was a Levite. I mentioned this yesterday. He was from the tribe of Levi, but but then the priesthood traces through Aaron. And by the time of Jesus, they're looking for a Zadokite priest, and Zadok was a priest in the line of Aaron. So that's what they're looking for. And they, but they want a specific kind of priest, a priest like Zadok, who was a good priest. He knew the word and and handled the word. So that's what they wanted. As a, as a uh, as the high priest is a Zadokite priest, a priest like Zadok. Jesus, remember, is called in Hebrews a priest after the line of Melchizedek. Well, we don't know anything about Melchizedek. We just know that he was a priest and a king of Salem, and we know that Abraham offered tithes to him. He recognized him as a religious figure serving the same God that Abraham was serving, and so he made tithes to him. In, what is it, Genesis 15, he makes these tithes. So Melchizedek, is he's the king of Salem, is what he's called. Well, the king of Salem, that's actually Jerusalem is where he is. And so that's Melchizedek, and Jesus is a priest after the line of Melchizedek because he's recognized by Abraham as a priest of the Most High God. He's the first priest we actually run across anywhere in Genesis, and so we get this, this priest that nobody knows anything about. Nobody knows where he came from or where he went. But then the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is that kind of priest because he's not from the line of Levi. So he is a true priest, not after the Aaronic, the, the priesthood that comes from Aaron, not after the Aaronic priesthood, but after the priesthood of Melchizedek, which is a greater, older priesthood. So that's the the way the priest worked. So they would handle the sacrifices. They would work in the holy place. And as I said, the, the high priest would once a year go into the Holy of Holies and throw blood on the ark as atonement for the sins of the people. So that that's the priestly class. And the Levitical class were those, for instance, in the wilderness. They were the ones who would have carried the ark from place to place. They would have been the ones who... who 
took it down and folded everything up and put everything away. They would also be the one to clean all the implements used in the in the sacrificial system to, to take to handle everything. They couldn't go into the holy place. Only the priests could go there, and the high priest, and only once a year, could go into the Holy of Holies. So the Levites are the ones who did all the other stuff. They could be singers in the choir. They could be the ones who played instruments or whatever. That's who they were. They were leaders of the people in a religious sense. They were also scattered throughout the people in the land as a, a, to make sure that people had sound instruction in every single tribe. So the Levites are apportioned among the tribes in, in their lands, and some space there then was set aside specifically for those Levites, but they were there to make sure that, that there were representatives, there were judges, essentially, within every little every clan and every tribe. So they had an important role in interpreting the law at that local level. So, so internal issues within a given tribe were dealt with by those Levites. If there was a problem between two tribes, then it got dealt with in a different way. But, but that's the role of the Levites. And the Levites kind of morphed into um, the rabbinic class along the way in the, in the ex- period of the exile and then after the return. As I said, you, you could be a Levi and a rabbi. But you didn't have to be a Levite to be a rabbi. And a rabbi was just somebody who, who taught and understood the word, who, who decided in disputes among people and uh, uh, within the community, they would, they would settle disputes. They would, they would handle things like divorces. They would handle all the sort of legal things that went on. And, and those are the rabbis. That word never shows up anywhere, anywhere in the Old Testament at all. In Orthodox Judaism today, Levites have additional rights and obligations compared to lay people, although they're, they're very much diminished after the destruction of the temple. For example, they're eligible to be called to the Torah first. So when the reading of the Torah is happening, the, the, the priests get the option, if you're in the priestly class that today, you can be called to read the Torah first, and if there's no priest there, then, the, then, then a Levite can do that. They also do things like they, they will help the, the priests. There's still a role for priests. They still do the high priestly blessing um, from number six. And, and so they still recite that. So the Levites will come and they will assist the priest in the washing of their hands prior to that blessing being being given. So in, in an Anglican world, they would be sort of like a deacon during the worship service, they would be, you know, like when I was a deacon, one of the things that I did um, was I, 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 at the time of communion, I would go prepare everything. I would, I would get the bread out and the wine out. I would put the wine in, in the right places, get everything out there so that the priest could then come and consecrate that stuff. So, but, but my job was to make sure all that was there to start with, and, and the altar guild was a group of people who did it, and then the Levi, and then the, the deacon would be the one to manage it all during the service. And so, the, the, essentially there, the altar guild and the deacon would have served in the roles of Levites, and then the choir would be people like Levites. Uh, so all those things are kind of passed down into the structure of the church at the same time. Now, um, Maimonides, who, who was one of the great um, sages of the 12th century, he, he said, that, so this is, he, he's basically saying anybody can become a Levite when he says this. He said, what differentiated the tribe of Levi was that they were designated and separated from others in order to devote themselves to the service of God. 
to teach God's righteous ways and just statutes to the many. Therefore, they were held apart from worldly ways and mundane tasks. They did not participate in the battles of war. They didn't inherit or acquire for themselves land. Rather, they were God's army. And the Blessed One sustained them, (coughs) for it is written, I am your share and your inheritance." And then he goes on to say, this is true not only for the tribe of Levi exclusively, but for every human being that enters this world's life, whose spirit moves one and one understands of one's own knowledge and will that one wishes to be a part and to stand before the Lord and serve and obey him, to know God and to walk righteously as the Creator intended, to remove from one's neck the yoke of many schemes that man pursues. Such a person is sanctified and is holy of holies." The Lord will be that person's share and inheritance forever, and the Lord will provide for this holy person in this physical world as well, so that the person will be able to have that which is sufficient for life, as the Lord so provided for the Kohanim and the Levim. So what he's saying is, is that, that it's God's wish that all people would be like the Levites, that they would be set apart and holy for God's purpose, and that's what it means to be a holy nation. And that's who we're called to be as Christians as well. So we're all called to be a priesthood of all believers. The most important thing for a priest is to know who their congregation is. I've said this a million times to people who come to me and say, well, you know, you have this title of priest, but we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And then my response to that is, okay, then get to work serving your congregation. Who is it God's given you? It begins with your family, but it also includes everybody you come into contact with throughout the course of any given day, and particularly those who you come into contact with in the course of most days. So you've been given a congregation to serve. Go do it. Are you doing that role? Are you preparing yourself to step into the role of priest to the people God's given you to shepherd? It's an important thing. And so then you get these, this, this other class of rabbis that come in, and, and they basically just are the keepers of Judaism and have been since A.D. 70. So for a couple thousand years since the destruction of the temple, the most important people have been the rabbis. They were a class that was increasing in power at the time of Jesus. But, but they were still secondary because of the temple. They were still secondary in their importance. Now, today, they're the most important people. That, that there's another group of people that are mentioned in the New Testament that don't really hang around very long. Most of them, we think, probably get assimilated into the class of rabbi. And these are the scribes. The most famous scribe, because he tells us he is a scribe, was um, Ezra in the Old Testament. And so what you get is these people are, they were the learned ones who um, priests, for instance, and Levites would rely on to interpret the law, that they, they gave themselves over to the study of that, and they were the people who, who understood it better than anybody else. Like I said, they kind of get subsumed into the class of rabbi, um, at least by the time of the Talmud, which is in the second century. So what we get is, is that this that initially— in, in the book of Deuteronomy, the Levites are the ones who are supposed to teach, but by the time they come back from the exile, when, when it's being Hellenized, when they're becoming more Greek in orientation and thought, it, it, it becomes these scribes who do this. Initially, they would have been those who copied the text, 
and they would be so familiar with the text that they wouldn't make any mistakes. There was somebody to check over them in something called the scriptorum. They, they would all be asked, everybody in the room is copying the same part of scripture. And at certain times, the, the person in charge would stop it, say, count this many characters and tell me what character you have there. And if it was wrong, then that thing had to be burned, lest anybody get a wrong copy. And so they were the people who knew the Word of God, and then they began to study the Word of God and began to understand the Word of God in the way that that passage from Proverbs talks about. So in the Maccabean period, so somewhere between 142 and 63 B.C., they would have been very, very important leaders in society. They were an institution by that point in time, and it became a title for a learned guardian of the law, for instance. And so then you get, you get all this moved into the class that's called the rabbis. And so these people all are threatened at some level by Jesus because he brings different understandings. So when you see a lawyer, for instance, that's mentioned in Scripture asking Jesus a question, that is a scribe or a rabbi. It's somebody who's, who's dividing Jewish law, not Roman law. They're looking at uh, the law. And they're asking him a question like, what's the most important commandment? So that, that's when Jesus will say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things go together is what he's saying. And so the rabbi says, you've done well. You know, that's the, the teacher, the, the lawyer, whatever. It, it, that's who that, those people are. Jesus has less confrontation with the priests. You don't see the Levites very much. Um, among um, the people Jesus interacts with. You don't see the priests as much. More often, you're going to see him dealing with rabbis, and then you're going to see him deal with these other two groups that are, quote, unofficial leaders of the people. They're more like factions, like Republicans and Democrats, than they, than they are functional titles. That, and those are the Pharisees and the Sadducees that I'm talking about now. But, but so today, now you know kind of what the leadership of the people look like. And this is all morphing and changing in real time when Jesus comes into the world. And it changes dramatically and forever about 40 years after he dies, a little less than that. But, but anyway, that's the leadership of the people. Those are the people to whom um, the, the rest of the people look for guidance and understanding. And you'll see from time to time, they'll say they're just common people. They don't know anything. Well, if, if the people don't know anything, that's the responsibility of the leaders. And so what they're doing, though, is they're not attaching them to God. They're attaching them to themselves so they feel threatened by Jesus because he's pulling them away from them. The people are attracted to Jesus in a way they're not attracted to them because Jesus says things like, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light in contrast to those who tie up those burdens and won't do anything to help relieve them. So leadership needs to understand always who are the people you're called to serve, but then also it needs to understand that that you ain't all that in a bag of chips. You know, you're just somebody who's been called by God to love these people and to sympathize with these people, to empathize with them, to 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 bring the word of God to them and to bring their concerns before the Lord.